Father, it is just good to be in your presence this morning. It's good to be your kids. It's good to be home with you. And uh, Lord, I pray that uh, in these next few moments that you would just draw us close, that you'd let us hear your heart, that you'd open our eyes and our minds and our hearts to your word and to what you have for us today, God. We do surrender. We open ourselves up. We crack the door on our hearts. And we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come and come and speak, come and lead, come and direct, come and minister as you see fit for your glory and for our good, we pray. In Jesus' name. All right, well, I'm going to start out this morning with a question, kind of get you engaged, get you talking a little bit, get you thinking. And so uh, this, is, this is my question for the morning. What kinds of images, feelings, and thoughts come to mind when you hear the word home or when you think of even maybe coming home for Christmas? Now, I will just uh, say my little disclaimer is some of us come from homes and backgrounds that are not real great, and so that might stir up all kinds of some negatives or some, some, some of that kind of stuff. And I would just say, if that's you, then I want you to think about what kinds of things would you should have home been for you, or what, what, what kinds of images, thoughts, and, and pictures come, you know, come to mind when you think of the home that you want to create, or the, the home that you want, or what you want home to be, if that makes sense. And so if you would, if you're comfortable, turn to a person or two or three around you, and I want you to talk about the answer to this question, what kinds of thoughts, Feelings, images, could be smells, could be anything. What, what comes to mind when you think of home and especially coming home for Christmas? Go ahead and talk amongst yourselves for a minute. starts drawing uh, our hearts towards home. They make movies about it. It's pretty much how the Hallmark Channel stays in business, I think. Like movies about coming home for the holidays and heart, you know, heart kinds of things and all, all, all that kind of stuff. There's songs written about it. I'll be home for Christmas. There's all kinds of things uh, that come about this time of year. Today we're launching a, a brand new series called Home, Embracing the Joys and the Complexities of Christmas. Uh, and throughout this series, we're going to be dealing with a variety of topics and issues related to coming home at Christmas and coming home sort of over the holidays. Today, I want to do sort of an intro message uh, on sort of an invitation uh, home at Christmas, an invitation maybe even to what home is mostly meant to be and what, what home was always meant to be. 
I was thinking this week of my own sort of pictures of coming home at Christmas and, and our own Christmas traditions when I was a kid. And I have to say, we, have, we had a lot of them. It was a, it, it was a jam-packed season of the year for us. Uh, family is a super high priority, uh, even when I was a kid. And so we, we went to a bunch of different family kinds of things throughout the day. In fact, I think, I think our average was either five or six different Christmases every year that we would do. Like, and it was all within like maybe a 48 hour period of time. So like, it was like rapid fire Christmas kind of stuff. But I remember on, on Christmas Eve, the tradition is we would go to my stepdad's side of the family. So they lived in Clinton, Iowa. So we would go home for him. That was, a, that was super important for him to go home and, uh, uh, we would all gather together at my great aunt Margie's house, and uh, every year we'd have amazing food. Uh, as somebody talked about over here, uh, I, I can remember even competing as uh, as a kid with my cousins uh, that were there because the they, like the bread and the rolls that were made were like all warm and they're like the best things ever. And so there was always a competition to see who would get the last roll. And so like you'd have children eating like a dozen rolls trying to get to the last one and stuff. It's like, it was like awesome. We had, you had to have as much as you could. But we would, we would, we would have amazing food. Um, I can remember uh, at Aunt Margie's house, uh, she would always invite people that didn't have any place else to go. So there would always be some guests. There would be laughter. There would be games. Uh, again, great food. Uh, there would be presents, of course. There would be all that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, she always had an enormous Christmas tree with all kinds of presents all the way around. Um, but I, I think even some of the, the most memorable stuff is after um, after we kind of spent time talking, we had a meal together, all that kind of stuff, they would turn off the lights, and, and the whole family would gather around the Christmas tree, and we would sing Christmas carols uh, every year. Now, the thing that's particularly interesting about this family is uh, two things. I mean, first of all, they were incredibly musical. Second of all, um, they were from Denmark. The family had come from Denmark, and so they would sing, inevitably, the old-timers, right, around the tree, at, at some point, would start singing Christmas carols in Danish in four-part harmony. Like, it was, it, was incredible. it was incredibly memorable as a kid. But again, it was important. It was a value. It was like, you know, family matters. And coming home matters. And so we would do that every year. And uh, we would stay there until into the evening, uh, pretty late. Finally, they would, we would pack everything up. We'd get in the car. And we'd drive back to Kiwani, Illinois, where I was living uh, in those years. And we would go to Christmas, uh, the Christmas candlelight service. It was at midnight uh, in our town. And so uh, we would... We would do that whole thing. In fact, um, it, that's maybe not quite as memorable for me because I slept through it most, most years, I think. And some of you might relate, right? <laughs> Sleeping in church might be your thing. And so, and so no, I'm kidding. But, uh, but we would uh, we'd do that kind of thing until, until super late. And you know, you'd sing Silent Night and everybody have the candles, the lights would be down. Uh, very memorable stuff. We'd go home then after that. Uh, we'd get a few hours of sleep. And, of course, as a kid, I was up. Before the crack of dawn, right? I'm probably up with four hours sleep. I'd get up super early. Um, there, most years, my mom and dad would already have a fire in the fireplace. The Christmas lights are on, and there's mounds of presents everywhere. And so, as a little kid, you're like, "Oh yeah, bring on the presents!" Right? So we go and we open presents. We spend about an hour or an hour and a half together, and then we go to the next Christmas. So we'd all pack up again. We'd go to my mom's side of the family for Christmas breakfast. And, uh, and I'm telling you what, this, it was on our family farm that had been in our family for 150 years. My grandpa was born there. My great-grandpa was born there. My great-great-grandpa was born, like, literally in the house, like, right, like right there. Uh, it's been in our family for generations. And so everybody 
uh, would come home for Christmas Day. It was, it was a huge thing. In fact, later I'd have cousins in Arizona. They'd be in Michigan. They'd be out on the East Coast. They'd be all over, and everybody would come home pretty much every year. And we'd get there for Christmas breakfast. You'd open up the door, and the smell of like two pounds of bacon that was, uh, that was already prepared would just fill the house as God intended it to be on Christmas morning, right? <laughs> you walk in and start salivating pretty much instantly. You're like, this is the good stuff. But we'd come in, and like I said, all my family would be there, cousins and aunts and uncles. Uh, I think there was uh, nine, or wait, yeah, like, Three kids plus their spouses, nine grandkids, and eventually their families, and eventually tons of great grandkids, all that kind of thing. Again, came home every year for Christmas, and it was it was amazing. There was there was great food, there was great fun, <laughs> there was uh, a lot of fun connections with one another. Uh, their grandpa, again, almost every year he'd go. I mean, up until the time he was probably ninety, he would go by himself. He'd go cut saw down a, a Christmas tree by himself. He'd throw it on in the truck and bring it back and set it up and there'd be uh, this huge tree and lights and there'd be presents all around. Maybe, I mean, tons. They were incredibly generous. Maybe a hundred presents or something, which, you know, kids' eyes were like, whoa! And, uh, and this kind of thing. But I'll tell you what, particularly as, as we grew older, uh, it began to dawn on me that um, we didn't actually come home uh, for Christmas. Everybody didn't come home because of the presents, although maybe some of the kids. We didn't come home because of the bacon, but it, it might have been up there, right? <laughs> People didn't come home, even for the connections with uh, each other, although we really enjoyed being together. Our, our family came home pretty much every year because of my grandpa, because of my grandma, because of the way they loved us. Uh, pretty much uh, our entire growing up years, all, in all of the grandkids felt this way. Grandpa loved us like a dad, right? He loved, he had a huge heart. He was involved. Uh, he would show up at sporting events. He'd show up at a concert, whatever you were doing, and he just he just loved the kids. And Grandma just loved the kids, and uh, and they had a way of just sort of individualizing that care and that love every year. And so uh, even in the after well in the morning after after breakfast, Grandpa would always play games with the kids, and I th- he'd play one pretty much every year called hide the thimble. Anybody ever play hide the thimble? Our family may have invented it. It's, a, it's kind of a dumb game, but an old plastic nibble that somebody would hide, and then you'd basically play the hot cold game until, uh, until the, 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 the kids found it. Grandpa would do that with the kids for hours. It, it's got to be the most boring game ever, but he didn't care. He loved those kids and the grandkids so much that he would just play with them. And then after, uh, after lunch, um, uh, he and Grandma would sort of work their way around the room, and they'd sit down with people individually, one at a time. You'd give, they would give you their undivided attention, and they'd want to know what was happening in your life. There was love, right? There was, there was care. And as a result, I have to say, it was that kind of environment. And as a result, people would do just about anything to come home, and especially to come home at Christmas, right? It was a, it was a big deal. They did it. We, people did it every year. Home is a place where you're meant to belong. Right? Home is meant to be a place that you feel safe and where you're accepted and where you're loved and cared for on a level that, that, that isn't the same pretty much anywhere else. Home is meant to be a place where love prevails, where the house smells like bacon. Oh, yeah, right? <laughs> where needs get met, where we are known and accepted and cherished. It's home. When that kind of home is present, it draws you in. People will do all kinds of things, go to all kinds of great lengths to get home. 
like I said, especially during the holidays. But home can be a funny thing, can it? Well, it can bring, uh, it, it bring tremendous amounts of joy and it can etch amazing moments in our memory. Home can also be one of the most painful places there are. It can, be, it, can, it can be a place that really brings destruction. It can be a, a, a place of, of horrible kinds of memories. It can be a place that, that has wounded us, that has distorted us, a, a place that triggers us. Home is a tricky thing. That's why we're taking uh, time as a church to kind of dig into this whole topic a little bit. We're talking about some of the joys, like we're talking today, but we're also talking about some of the complexities that come with this whole idea of going home at Christmas. Next week, we're going to spend some time, uh, and I'm calling it dealing with fruitcakes, <laughs> and uh, we're going to talk about some of the relational issues that exist at Christmas, because all of us probably have some of that, too, some of the crazy that goes with Christmas, some of the, the hard things and the butting of heads and some of the painful memories and some the destructive stuff of the past that dogs us a little bit this time of year. So we're going to talk about some of those kinds of things because, because we get home and, and coming home, it's a mixed bag, right? I mean, there's, there's some glorious parts, but there can also be some incredibly hurtful and exhausting and painful sort of parts as well. Well, I was thinking about it this, this week and thinking home's actually kind of a tricky thing to define, isn't it? I mean, we use it oftentimes uh, to talk about a physical place, right? A house, a place that, that the body stays and dwells and sleeps. But I think all of us also are aware that there may actually be a building where your body stays, but you wouldn't call it home. Trying to define home is a tricky thing. So we use phrases. Sometimes there's, there's, there's a, I mean, there's Pinterest quotes galore. There's little paintings that people have and, about home and about all these things that try and help us give some language to it, try to help us define it. Home is where the heart is, right? We'll, it, we'll, we'll say, or there will be something like that. Um, I, I ran across some quotes as we look at a few of these. Uh, Robert Frost says, home is the place where when you have to go there, they have to take you in. Right? <laughs> As home, he says. I thought this one was great. It's from Shauna Nequest, uh, a young author that says this. She says, everybody has a home team. She uses this language in the beginning. It's the people you call when you have a flat tire or when something terrible happens. It's the people who, near or far, know everything that's wrong with you and they love you anyways. These are the ones who tell you their secrets, who get themselves a glass of water without asking uh, when they're at your house. These are the people who cry when you cry. These are your people, your middle of the night, no matter what people. She says, that's home. Oliver Wendell Holmes says this, wherever we love is home, home that our feet may leave, but not our hearts. And one more says, as the ache for home lives in all of us, the safe place where we can go as we are and not be questioned. We were talking in growth group this last week. Uh, we've been doing this, uh, this study called Jesus Is, and we've been looking at the life and the ministry of Jesus and trying to figure out who is this guy, right? Like, who is he? So we've been looking at some of the different qualities, some of the different titles for him. You know, Jesus as Savior, Jesus as, right, all, all these different kinds of things. And uh, somebody said this on uh, on. Wednesday, and I thought this was a great quote. They said, you know what? They said, I think I've, I've kind of figured out what, what I think the answer to the question, the question of who is Jesus. They said, you know what? I think Jesus is home. It's where, it's where our hearts were always meant to be, right? It's where, it's where we're intended to be. It's the place where we're loved and where we're safe. You know, 
you know, I, I heard that and I thought, I'm not so sure that's a bad answer. I'm, I'm not so sure that's all that different from the answer that the Bible gives of what home was meant to be. So I want us to, to zero in on that. Listen to this, John 14, I, I was just drawn to this week. And I, this is the primary, I'm going to look at three or four verses, but this is the primary one we'll just kind of keep coming back to. Listen to this, this is straight from the lips of Jesus. He says, if anybody loves me, they'll obey my teaching, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Isn't that great? He's saying, you know what? You know what? Home is, is me and my Father coming to live with you, coming to do life with you. It's, it's the home that we were always meant to experience. Home, Jesus says, is, is him coming to be with us and to dwell in us. He will make his home with us. It's an invitation into a loving relationship with him. If you love me, I will come and make my home with you. There's this theme, it's, it, it's not just in John, but there's this theme that shows up throughout the Bible that's very, very similar. It uses real similar language. And it starts out actually in Genesis. The first book of the Bible shows up in, in Genesis uh, 17, and then in Exodus 6 and 19 and 29, and then in Deuteronomy 4 and 7 and 14 and 26. And 20. It's, you, can, you see where I'm going with this, right? It's, it's everywhere. <laughs> it's a promise that God makes, and it shows up again and again. It's reiterated all the way throughout the Old Testament, all the way throughout the New Testament. In fact, it, 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 it bookmark, bookmarks the entire Bible. It's in Genesis, it's in Revelation, and everywhere, everywhere in between. And it's this whole promise that God, that God keeps saying. He's saying it in the Old Testament. He says it to Israel, his people in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, he says it to the church, right? Again, his people, those that believe and put their faith and trust in Christ. And it's this promise that says, you know what? There's going to be a day, and, and, and I'm going to draw you in, and you are going to be my people, and I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to be your God. And it's this whole, it's, it's, it's this promise that keeps coming, and, and it's repeated again and again. You know what? I'm going to be with you, and you're going to be my people, and I'm going to be your God. It's a picture of home. It's a picture of family. We are going to be together forever. It's a picture that says, I'm going to make my home with you, and I'm going to be yours, and you are going to be mine. You see it all the way through God's book, and then you get to Revelation, and this is how, this is how it puts it in Revelation 21.3. And this is when the whole thing is finally fully realized. It says this, Revelation 21.3. It says, I heard a loud, a loud voice shout from the throne, God's home is now with his people. In, in fine in finality, right? He will live with them, and they will be his own. Yes, God will make his home among his people. The story of the Bible, friends, from beginning to end, tells a story of a God that is coming to make his home among us and in those who want him, in those who love him, in those who, that, that will receive and put their faith and trust in him. He is home in that sense. And this time of year is especially, we remember and we celebrate this with, in graphic detail. The time that God came to dwell among us physically on this planet. How he came to make his home among us. Isaiah 7, 14, and it gets quoted in the New Testament several different places. But this is a prophecy that's written about him. It says this, therefore the Lord himself will give a sign. The virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son. And he will be called... What does that say? They'll call him Emmanuel. means God with us. The imagery here is the same. God coming to make his home among us, to come and live inside of us. 
God with us. And so let's, I just want to, in, in the time we've got left, I just want to dive into this whole concept just a little bit. What does it mean that God is with us? What does it mean that God is coming to make his home with us? What does that mean for us practically? What is he talking <laughs> about? And I, I'm just going to mention three things. We could go into a whole bunch more detail, but I want to mention three things that I think God has for us today. And, and the first one is this. It means that his, his, his presence is always available to us. I've shared with you before, um, there's a study done by the University of Minnesota, it was done a couple decades ago now probably, uh, that, uh, that was on emotions and the kind of emotions that people feel the most. In that day, it was the day of pagers, right? And so they, they gave thousands of people across the country a pager, and they said, we're going to page you at random times, and any time we page you, you have to write down the emotion you're feeling at that exact moment. The number one answer by far, wasn't even close, was loneliness. They said Americans actually experience and feel lonely more than any other emotion, is what the study said. Today, as we think about the significance of Christmas, the significance of, of Christ coming to make his home with us, of a baby born that was to be called the Emmanuel, the God that is with us, part of what that means for you and for me is that we don't have to be alone. The God of the universe has come, and he has visited our planet, and he has made his presence available to you and to me, to all those who open up their, their hearts and their lives to Christ. He promises to come and be with us, to come and make his home among us. He, he promises to come and be in relationship with us. John 1, uh, 1 through 2 and on to 14, that whole passage there is, is kind of talking about this as well. It says this, in the beginning was the word. This is, all, this is all John's code. When he says word, he's talking about Jesus, right? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and he was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then you go on to verse 14, it says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He, he made, the word became, Jesus came from heaven down to earth and he came to dwell in our midst. He came to make his home. The, the word there literally is tabernacle, right? It's like tent. He came in and made his presence. He came and brought his tent to earth, right? To live and be here among us and with us. He brought his home to us. He's come to make his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John chapter 1 tells the story of Jesus coming to dwell among us, to be with us. He came and visited our planet, God in the flesh. The one who has always been came to visit and to make his home with us. And it wasn't just God coming to, to, to make his home with people 2,000 years ago, but he still does it today, right? It's promises throughout Scripture, Matthew 28, some of the last words of Jesus, right? Where he says, surely, he says to his followers, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am with you always. His presence is available, not just back then, but today as well. And in John 14, 16 through 18, Jesus is talking in and says, I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, it's the Holy Spirit, right? The world cannot accept him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. He says, I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm 
I'm present. I'm going to send the spirit who's going to live inside of you. He's going to make his home in you. He will be with you forever. He will empower you. He'll remind you of what I have said, of what I have taught. He will be with you, and I will be with you forever. God's desire is that he would not only be with us, but that he would actually come and take up residence in our own lives. The living God came to be in relationship with you and in relationship with me. He came to do life with you, to live with you, to to live in you, to speak to you, and to hear from you, to guide you, and to lead you, to bring you close to him, and to bring his power to bear in your life. Through the life, and through the death, and through the resurrection of Jesus, you and I can come back home to him. We can come back into relationship with him, and he'll come and, and make his home among us, and in us, and with us. No matter what is happening in your life, you need to remember that you're not alone. The living God is present. The living God cares. He is there. He's come to make his home with you and among you. Second thing it means uh, that he's come to make his home uh, in us. It means that his love for us is secure. Just reminds us that God cares. I mean, when you think about this whole idea of Christmas, think about what that means, really. Think about God giving up all the perks of heaven, uh, the, the place where he is completely glorified, where everything is as it should be, and giving that up and coming to earth and being born a baby. I mean, this is, I mean, we could spend a lot of time on it. We'll spend time later. I'm not going to go into it too much. But think of that. I mean, think of giving up your status, giving up, you know, at least partially your power and, and some of that kind of stuff, coming to earth and being born in a baby that doesn't even have bladder control. God choosing that for you. I mean, choosing that because he loves you that much. Imagine him choosing to come to earth knowing that he would die the most excruciating death ever because he loved you that much the Bible talks about this all over the place just how much you matter to God John 3.16 is the classic one right for God to love the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him whoever puts their faith in him shall not perish but have eternal life for God so loved you and me Romans 8, 31, 32. We talked about it about a month or two ago, but it says this. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us that much, who can be against us? He who didn't spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation could possibly separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, God's saying there here that if God loved you enough to send his own son for you, to give his life for you, if he loved you that much, then nothing could possibly keep him from loving you now. It's just a picture of how, just how crazy God is about you. He's, he loves you. He's not only with you, but he's for you. He's not only with you, but he loves you like crazy. Max Lucado's got a quote. Uh, I've shared it, I think, once before, but I love it. He says this. He says, there, there are many reasons that God saves you. To bring glory to himself, to appease uh, justice, to demonstrate his sovereignty. But one of the sweetest reasons God saves you is because he's fond of you. He likes having you around. 
He thinks you're the best thing to come down the pike in quite a while. He said, if God has a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If he had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring and a sunrise every morning. Whenever you want to talk, he wants to listen. He can live anywhere in the universe, and yet he chooses to take up residence in the human heart, in your heart. He said, the Christmas gift that he sent you in Bethlehem, face it, friends, he's crazy about you. Imagine a God that loves you that much. Imagine a Savior that loves you that much, that was willing to, to, to come to earth, to send his son, to choose to go from heaven to the manger. Imagine seeing the creator of the universe, the Savior, the all-powerful one, lying in a food trough because he loves you that much as a helpless man. Part of God coming to make his home with us, in, in us, even reminds us of just how much God cares, just how, just how much God loves you. He's crazy about you. He's not only with us, but he's for us. And the third thing, and I kind of took two ideas and put them together here, but the third thing is it means transformation and it means better life for us is what it means. God wants to come and take up residency in your life. He wants to live with you and in you. He wants a loving relationship with you. He doesn't just want to come in as a guest. He wants to move in permanently, and that means that brings change with it. I, I was thinking this weekend, remembering back to uh, right after college, I lived in a little two-bedroom house out in the country between Byron and Oregon, Illinois. I was doing youth and worship for a, a church uh, out that way. And I can remember I lived, I had either one or two, it depends on the time, uh, other guys, college friends living with me in that era. And, uh, and you can imagine, I mean, we were bachelors. <laughs> we, it, was, uh, it was quite the place. I had never, up until this point, I would never bothered decorating, not even a little bit. Like, I was sort of, it kind of seemed like a waste of time to me. And so there's no pictures on the wall, there's no anything. All the furniture we had had been given to us. Um, it was given to us because nobody wanted it anymore. And so, like, our couches and chairs were all from, like, the 60s and 70s. So they were either that nice, uh, like, green color or there was, like, a goldy yellow or else there was some, like, floral kind of stuff that we had. And none of it really matched or went together, but that was kind of what all of our furniture was like. Uh, again, like I said, so there's three guys. We were living together. And so even our, even our eating and cleanliness standards were a little bit different than they might be now. We had a uh, uh, I mean, we ate pretty much every day. This is what we ate. We had either pizza or some sort of meat and potato that you could cook on the grill. That was pretty much every meal. Was <laughs> that we we didn't really do the dishes all that often until we ran out of either silverware or plates, and then there'd be like four hours worth of dishes to do. <laughs> it was like everywhere. We had a laundry chute. You're learning way too much about me, but we had a laundry chute that went to our uh, unfinished basement, and so like again, you had it was out of sight, out of mind. You'd never think of it again. So you just throw laundry down there, laundry down there, laundry down there, laundry down there until you were completely out of clothes, and you go down, you're like up to your waist in dirty laundry, like in the basement, you're wading through it all. It was, it was the perfect environment that you want to, uh, to bring your new fiancé into. And so Tina and I got engaged in that era. And, uh, and I'll never forget, so we're moving towards uh, wedding time. And I'll never forget, she shows up one day with some boxes. She was, this is, again, I don't know, maybe a couple months out from us getting married or something like that. And uh, she 
brought some, some of her stuff. She's starting to move stuff in. And uh, she was coming to make her dwelling among me, among, among us. And I'll never forget, she came and brought boxes and she started sort of unpacking some stuff. And I came out one day, one of my roommates who's six foot six inches tall and maybe a hundred and, I don't know, few pounds. He, we call him Stick. So Stick's sitting there in the living room, and he's sitting there, kind of like this, looking, staring at one of the windows, and I walk in, and he's like, he's like what is that? And, I, and I, I go over, and I look, and there's these, like, flowers that have, like, some sort of ribbon tied around, like, hanging, like, above our window. And we both stood there for the longest time, and it was, when, it was in that moment that it started to dawn on me that my life would never be the same again. <laughs> Things were going to change, right? You get me? And, and over the next uh, you know, weeks and months, it be, started becoming more and more apparent that, of course, we get married, and in those first number of years, you're like, you know what? Things will never be the same again. And they won't be, because Tina was coming to make, to, to make her home with me. And it was no longer about my home and the things that were important or not important to me. All of a sudden, it was about our home. It was, and all of a sudden, our home had more beauty and had more order. All of a sudden, there were, there were different standards that got imposed right in our home. There were different, different things. And you know what? I mean, all kidding aside, it was infinitely better than the home I had before. All of a sudden, uh, and it wasn't, it wasn't like all these changes that were happening, like, a, like oh, Tina's a big ball and chain, you know, kind of thing. Like, it wasn't like I was being forced into this, you gotta know what? I made these changes, and we made these changes because I love her, and because she loves me, and because it was no longer about me and my house, and that Tina was just a guest. No, she was coming, and a new family was being formed, a new identity, and suddenly we were making decisions together. We were dreaming dreams together. Suddenly, uh, things that were important to her became important to me, too. Right? Everything started changing. And that's what happens when you're in relationship with somebody. It's what happens when you love somebody. That's what happens when somebody comes and makes their home with you and a new family is formed. I want, you to, I want to go back here to, to this passage. And I, just want you, I want to read these words to you again from, uh, from John 14. Where Jesus is speaking, he says, If anybody loves me, he'll obey my teaching. And my Father will love him, and we will come and make our home with him. If you love me, Jesus says, you'll obey. You know what he's saying? He's saying, if you love me, things are going to change. There's going to be a new family that forms. There's going to be a new culture that forms. It'll change your values. It'll change how you live, how you work, what you dream. It'll change everything. But not because you have to. It'll change because you love Jesus and because he loves you. And because when that happens, he's going to come in and make his home among you. He's going to make a, a new family with you. He's going to make his home with you. He wants to become one with you, very much like a husband and wife coming together, a, one new out of the old. A new family, a new you even. One infinitely better than anything you've experienced before. He has come to make his home among you and in you and with you. He's the Emmanuel, right? God with us. God coming into the world. And for those that receive his grace, for those that open up their hearts and lives, those that embrace him, so to speak, that love him, he comes to make his home with us. He invites us to share a table. He invites us home. 
into his family and into his home forever. It's incredible. I mean, think about that. God coming to be with us. God moving in, making a home with you and with me. God among us. God with us. God in us. I was just thinking this week and thinking, man, that's the gospel in in a nutshell. God moving in, coming, taking initiative. When I have nothing to offer, but he comes anyway. I could not get to God because of my sin and because of my failure. I could not get to God because of my flaws. I couldn't get to God because of my past sin and my past junk. I couldn't get to God because I was hardwired against against it. Just the sin nature that was in me. And I've rebelled against him and his plans and his teachings again and again and again and again. I've turned away, not wanting his will for my life. And yet God came to make his home with me. Although I couldn't get to God, Christmas reminds us of the time that God came to me and to you to make his home with us. God dwelling in us. I couldn't be right, act right, live right, talk right, think right on my own. But God came to me. You may feel lost or without hope in this world. But God came to you. He wants to make his home with you. You and I were separated from God. We were on a path away from Him and towards a Christless eternity because of our sin. But God came for us, for you and for me, to make His home in our midst and in us and with us. You may have failed in your relational world. Some of us might have broken marriages, broken relationships. Some of us might be feeling down this time of year or feel hopeless or depressed. We might be struggling with some sort of ongoing pattern or sin or rut in our lives, but God came for you to be with you, to make his home among you. Maybe this is the first Christmas without a loved one, and it might be an agonizing loss, and there might be terrible grief that you're experiencing, and you might feel very much alone, but you need to hear this because God is with you. He will not leave you alone. He came to be your God. He came to be your Father. He came to be your family. No matter what's happening, no matter what is going on. You may be feeling distant from God, stressed out. You might be rejected during the season, feeling estranged from family members. You might have a disease that's plaguing you, and you're scared. But you need to hear this, that God came for you, to be with you. He is with you and for you, and he came to take up residence in your life. He came to make his home with you and with me. And his desire is to be with us and actually to live inside of us, to strengthen and encourage and transform and sustain, change everything into something infinitely better than what home has ever been to us before. Home. That means that his his love and his power, his presence is available to us always. He will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He is always present. He is always available. And his presence means change and a better life for us all. Let me finish reading this John 14 passage, and then we'll kind of wrap up. Read it again. He says, if anyone loves me, he'll obey my teaching, and my Father will love him, and, he will come to, uh, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He says, all this I have spoken to you while I am still with you, Jesus says. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. He says, this peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. 
I don't give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I thought that was fascinating. He says he's come to to take up residence in our lives, to come to bring us home, come to, to make a new home with us. He sends his spirit to fill us and to transform us and to change us. And what's the result? The very next words out of his mouth, he says, peace, my peace I give you. It's infinitely better than what we've ever experienced before. It's better. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. It's the natural byproduct of living in relationship with God, living in a new home with him. Friends, I don't know where you're at with God this morning. I'm not sure what he might be speaking to you or how how he might be encouraging you. Maybe this Christmas season is a lonely one for you. And it's easy for you to to sort of move inward and withdraw and to feel isolated, maybe just sink into depression or whatever. And I think maybe God wants you to, if that's you, I think maybe God wants you to know this morning that he has come for you. He has come to make his home and his presence available to you. If you just open up your heart and life, he promises you will never be alone. Never. He is with you always to the very end of the age. It doesn't matter what you're dealing with, what challenge you're facing. He is home with you and you are home with him. If you've opened up your heart and your life to Christ, then you are not alone. Maybe you're feeling pretty far from God today. Maybe you've screwed up, made some stupid choices. All of us have been there. Maybe you're living in a way that you know that you shouldn't. Maybe you're living in the bachelor pad kind of life that I was describing earlier when God has something infinitely better in store for you. And maybe this morning he's just drawing you in and saying, man, if you would just open up your heart and life to me, I've got home for you. I want to pour out my love and my grace and my spirit on you. I want to make you new. I want to show you what life was always meant to be. Maybe you're here today and you just need to be reminded that no matter where you're at with God, no matter how badly you may have screwed up, no matter how lonely you may be feeling, no matter how much you have to do or how busy the season or how significant the challenge is, that God's love and grace is available to you, that he wants to come into your life and take up residence with you. He wants to fill you with his presence and his power. He wants to strengthen and change. He wants to bring hope and life and peace into your home, into your family, even into your soul this morning. If you'll let him. If you'll simply open up your heart and life to him this morning. If you'll just acknowledge your need and just say, Jesus, I need you. Would you come and rescue me from my sin? Would you you just wipe out my sins, my junk from the past? Would you fill me and lead me and be my God and I'll be your son, I'll be your daughter. We want to be your people and you can be our God and you can lead us and come and make your home with us. Come and have your way. When we open up our life to Christ like that, when we, when we crack the door of our heart, when we cry out we need, and express our dependence and our need, our desire for him to come and save us and we cling to him like that, then we are brought home, brought home to God. Then we are filled with his love. Then his grace is poured out on us and he, he removes our sins, the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west. We're made new. We're given his spirit and his presence to indwell us forever. And he comes and transforms and makes us new and leads us forward as part of his family. 
Friends, I don't know where you're at with, with God. Today. I'm not sure what the season is like for you, but my encouragement as we start out this, this kind of introductory message today is just let's, let's find our home in him. Let's turn our hearts towards home. Let's, let's again crack the door of our hearts and lives, whatever's happening, and just say, Jesus, we want you to come and make your home with us and in us. We need you. Let's close in prayer. God, that's our cry this morning. We, uh, we got nothing on our own. And we thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you for being a God that comes, God with us, that God has come for us. Even when we didn't deserve it, that you came and you lived among us, that you came and died for us, and you have resurrected, you've risen from the grave, paying the price for our sins and assuring us that we can come home, home to the Father, that we can come home uh, to you, that we can be forgiven for our past and assured of a spot in heaven one day. And even in the here and now that you were assured that you'll send your spirit to live inside of us, that you will be with us, that you'll come and make your home in us. So God, we just open up our, our hearts and lives, whether we done this before once or twice or a hundred times, whatever, God, I pray that today that we wouldn't miss the purpose of you coming, but we would receive what you have, that we could live as a part of your family, that we could eat around the table, that we could build that relationship with you and receive what you have done for us. Would you fill us with your hope, with your grace, with your peace, with your love? Would you fix our eyes on you, Jesus? Would you move us forward? Staying in power, Phil.